Welcome to Bloody Good Horror. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Bloody Good Horror. My name's Eric, and I'll be your host for this evening, where we will be reviewing Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Because the Candyman can? Is that how that song goes? Yeah. Uh, you can take us. You, you thought it was a remake of the 1992 movie, but... Spoiler alert, it's actually a sequel, and we're going to talk about that coming up here in just a few moments. But joining me first up tonight from Richmond, Virginia, in case you didn't know, she never likes to tell people this. Please welcome Caitlin to the show. Hello. I was defending Richmond today, actually. Oh, yeah? That's what I'm made for, though. So. <laughs> you should be on the tourism board or something. I really you should. should. I feel it. like I should be getting compensated for all this free advertisement I'm doing. Next up on the show... From Indiana, please welcome Casey. Hello. And with us tonight, we have two special guests. First up, from Plug It Up and Thor's Hour of Thunder, please welcome Elizabeth to the show. Hey, guys. And last up, first time ever on the show, uh, please welcome from the Zombie Girls podcast, Ariel. Hi. Thanks for having me. Ariel, my daughter would be super jealous of you because you are named after the Little Mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) I, in fact, told my daughter recently I knew somebody who was named Ariel for real. Yeah, I was born before that movie came out, so it was sort of the bane of my existence in elementary school where everybody was like, Ariel, where's Flounder? Ariel, where's the best? Yeah, I feel you. Um, You just should carry around a trident and be like, how about now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ariel, we're going to chat with you a little more later on in the show, but first to the business of the hour. Let's do it. Let's take a quick break here and review Candyman. This is it, Jennifer. Your big break in TV. Of the front time. Main feature. Now I just have that song from uh, Willy Wonka stuck in my head. Yeah, <laughs> we all do. Thanks for that. <laughs> I would, you know, I would argue that movie is a horror movie and it's awesome because of that. It's kind of a wide awake nightmare and that's why it's amazing. Yeah. Caitlin, how is, how is Richmond finding you today? Richmond's finding me okay. We're getting some uh, Hurricane Ida storms, but I like that kind of weather as long as it's, you know, safe. I like a good safe rain. I don't like a flood rain, but you know, what I like when it rains, when it rains, it's like, Ooh, everyone's inside now. It's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same thought. I'm like, ah, the, the playing field is even same now. Th- yeah. See, I had the same thought with quarantine. I was like, yeah, what, what Welcome now? To my world. What now people <laughs> who function out in society? Ha. 
<laughs> Join me. Let me show you my ways. Uh, Kaylin. I was born for this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you merely adopted the darkness. Uh, Kaylin, please bring us the word of the day. Eric, uh, this was a collaboration, actually, a collaborative effort with our dear Elizabeth. Elizabeth pulled a, uh, a schnars move and got us a great word of the day right here <laughs> at the top right of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth, I believe you pulled the word recapitulation. I know. Would you mind uh, running through that definition for us real quick? Of course not. Recapitulation, it is um, a noun. There are a couple of definitions here. Um, they each kind of work on a different level, but uh, the first one is an act or instance of summarizing and restating the main points of something. Um, then also it can mean the repetition of an evolutionary or other process during development or growth. And then in music, which I kind of like this one for it, um, it's the part of, or a part of a movement, especially in like sonata form in which themes from the exposition are restated. Um, I love the score for both Candyman and this one was pretty killer yeah. too. I uh, and da, I feel da, like da, da. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was always so, you, Helen. Yes, me too. <laughs> I love it. The, but the repetition works on on a few levels here. No spoilers, but um, yeah, something evolving and growing and developing from one iteration to another uh, felt like it might fit tonight yeah and i, I unlike so. schnars i didn't even have to ask you to tell me what it has to do with the movie oh, <laughs> he just, oh, he just, i would like a raise he just lets it hang out there um no that's awesome i gotta say too like they're they are pretty restrained with the amount they used like you could have just used that original score and i would have been like cool i'm into this but i was it's almost so amazing for it like it came in the credits and i i have this on my like spooky trivia jams <laughs> that song and uh it's also used in one American horror story a couple of times. Mm. So I was waiting for the little, you know, it's gorgeous. Like it's so it's good. Um, yeah, I can tell you that I would not have had that much self-restraint. So congratulations to whoever made that decision. Um, Ariel, as our first time guest, I want to kick us off. Tell us, uh, like if you have any brief thoughts on the original Candyman, and then, um, what she thought of this. And if you've seen the other sequels, cause I always forget there was like a bunch of sequels to that movie. Yeah, you know what? I had completely forgotten that too. I have not seen any of the sequels and it had been a while since I had watched the original. So I watched that one before going to the theater. And I'm really glad I did because there are so many connections that are made and I think I might have forgotten some of it. But I've always had a soft spot for the original. I mean, the Candyman character is so iconic and so memorable. I had forgotten how much of a sort of psychosexual drama it really is and much less of a slasher than I had remembered in my head. So I thought that was really interesting to see. And um, yeah, the new one is so interesting and so it pulls from a lot of the stuff that happened in the original, but so much is different that I'm excited to talk about too, you know. And I think that it's like the acting is pretty phenomenal in this one. And I think that, you know, the body horror is great. There's a lot of good kills in this. I just had so much fun watching it. And while I think there are a few things that maybe could have been done even better, overall, I was really happy with it. Love it. Casey, how about you? Casey, pop quiz, buddy. How old were you in 1992? 
that was my senior year of high school. Damn, bro. I was 10. Yeah. That's the year I graduated. <laughs> I love it. Did you take a uh, date to go see Candyman? I don't think so. <laughs> Jeez, <Damn>. Eric. <laughs> I did have dates my senior year, but right. I don't think I took right. one to Candyman. Yeah, let me rephrase that. Did you go see Candyman in the theater? <laughs> Uh, I did see Candyman in the theater. I was a big fan of the original one. Um, it was always, to me, it was more of a thinking person's uh, horror movie, which was awesome because, like Ariel said, kind of. A, I've had memories of it being more slasher, and I expected slasher when I got there for the original. And then watching it unfold, it's like, oh, this is way more than just a slasher, which was great. And so this one, I was pretty excited for the new one. And I stayed away from the trailers and whatnot. I watched the trailer once when it first came out. Otherwise, I stayed completely away from it, from, uh, you know, news and everything. So going in, I didn't even have like an inkling of how this might unfold. If it was going to be a remake, something completely separate or anything. So as this movie started to unfold and the way they tied in the original movie and tied this to it, I was kind of blown away. It's like, oh, this is the perfect way to do a sequel 10, 20 years later, they, I think it really fit in well. I think they had actually managed to morph it and make it their own thing on top of what was already great in the original and Tony Todd's all I'm going to say. So yeah, (laughs) CG spoiler, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, what'd you think? I'm sorry. Elizabeth. He said Uh, CG. And then I was like, Elizabeth. And I was like, wait, what, (laughs) what did you think? Um, I don't know. I was really impressed. Um, I'm a really big fan. The original is obviously just a standard and a classic in the genre. Um, this, as far as continuing a story that is sacred to so many fans, I think really did a hell of a job. I think that, um, the direction was good. Um, the casting was killer. Um, I think that they were able to really use the themes and motifs of the original that are just as prescient now, if not more so, in a way that doesn't feel self-referential, like it felt fresh. Um, so it didn't necessarily feel like something that you had to know the entire mythology, as it were, because they're giving us so much of that in this this uh, film. So yeah, I was a really big fan. I think. Like you guys said, or Ariel, like you mentioned, um, there are a few things I think that could have been tightened up or they had just like little nitpicky issues with on a whole though. Like I really, I was pretty happy leaving the theater. Caitlin. I really enjoyed this and I will be very honest here. Vulnerable. I was a little skeptical going in, um, which I was, feels I was too. silly I didn't, to say. I didn't love a lot of the, tra- I think that I'm always like, oh, this trailer made this movie look amazing and it sucked, but I actually think the reverse happened here. Like I wasn't crazy about a lot of the trailers. I was just nervous that, I don't know, I, you know, I try to be really open to reboots or sequels as it is in this case, but I was, I I guess just a little cautious because the original Candyman does mean a lot to me, I guess holds a certain spot in my horror canon for me, but I, I really did love this. I, I love how the lore of the Candyman was expanded to be this like amalgamation of black men murdered at the hands of white supremacy and what that trauma looks like and how we use folklore to understand our painful shared histories. Um, I think I mentioned that I love the the nods to Black Lives Matter with the use of say my name and say his name, say her name. Um, and we can get more into that when we have your analyze, but the cast was great. I 
personally am a huge fan of Nathan Stewart Jarrett, who played the oh, brother so here. Good. Yes, I love him. He was in a <laughs> British TV show called Misfits, which mm-hmm. is so much fun. And I hadn't seen him in years. And before I even saw his, his beautiful face on screen, I saw his name come up and I was like, no way. <laughs> so I was very excited to see him. And he definitely was a scene stealer, I think, with his delivery. And I just, I really enjoyed his presence, but everyone did a good job. Everyone did. Um, I liked that they gave Brianna some, not only sort of racism to deal with, but also some sexism to navigate. And when I say I, I appreciate that, I obviously appreciate it in an artistic sense. Um, <laughs> I think but, uh, it goes without saying, but I, <laughs> I get yeah. it. <laughs> Don't isolate this audio. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there, there were some pacing issues that I would maybe have changed if I were in charge, but you know, overall it was great. Yeah. I'm largely in agreement with you guys. I, I was also skeptical, Kaylin. I just didn't love the trailers. I mean, the thing with the original Candyman is I think what, for a lot of reasons, number one being the group that grew up with that early nineties horror is now old enough to be sort of um, writing think pieces about it. So I think that a lot of it's getting reevaluated and appreciated more. The decade as a whole was sort of written off, like I think wrongly written off for a while. Like it definitely was a time of change in the genre. Uh, there were some ups and downs, but the early nineties in particular were, had their own like almost prestige horror wave in a way because slashers really weren't making money. So they weren't getting greenlit as much and horror in general wasn't getting greenlit as much, but when it did, it was something like this or something like silence of the lambs. There's like these real serious dramatic gems in the early nineties and candy. What's cool about Candyman is it, it, it accomplishes a very similar vibe to something like silence of the lambs, but it is unapologetically a horror film in a way where like, if that won an Oscar, no one could ever be like, Oh, that's psychological thriller Candyman," Cause it's just not. Oh, yeah, and what true. it's funny looking back on it because I loved it. It was just in my regular rotation of things. I rented as a 11, 10, 11, 12 year old. And I think back on it, that movie is fucking grim. Like, yeah, the, scary. The, the, they're stealing the baby and like the dog head and like her. You watch that woman's life just go from like regular to totally destroyed. It's so dark. It's so serious. It's so different from the other stuff that I rented from the era, like Friday the 13th. I would just go back and forth for movies like that. Um, what I What's fascinating going back, viewing that film now through the lens of having seen this one is like, I don't think you make a sequel to like right the wrongs of the first movie because the first movie, given like the cultural context of when it was made, it's actually dealing with a lot of heavy crap that other movies did. Like it feel, I think it feels for the time, like it was really pushing boundaries, especially about race. There's like also this whole aspect of, um, uh, what was her name? That actress, Virginia Madsen. Virginia. Trying, trying to navigate like academia as a woman with her like uh, professor boyfriend who's super sexist and like, um, so it was doing a lot. And I think because it was a movie made in the early nineties, they made the decision that was always made back then, which was to make this movie from the perspective of the white character. And so right. by virtue of that, like it limits the lens that you can see it through. Um, but it's still had these really deep themes that ran throughout it. And what's really neat about this movie is 
the cultural conversation has changed so much in the last five years. And after seeing it, it's like, yeah, this was brilliant. Like the idea to take this story, update it through a modern lens. And what, as a huge fan, like warmed my heart was to see they didn't throw out any of the mythos from the original movie. They found a way to retcon it to make it even more powerful to like pay homage to Tony Todd and that performance while allowing a new character to embody it. Like when I really sit back and think about the amount they're juggling successfully here, it's kind of amazing. Like I'm not sure that there's been a modern sequel remake iteration, whatever you want to call it. That's been kind of as successful as this. Um, yeah. I have one particular, uh, pacing nitpick that I think we discussed over email that we can get to, but, um, man, I think it's really, really fantastic. Like I, what is my current number one is promising young woman. Like it might be a horse race between those two movies. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, a uh, it's real good. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And Ariel touched on the body horror Oh I gosh. I mean, it's something that I appreciate. And I, I like that, Eric, you said, you know, in some of these prestige horror films, and I still get into this argument sometimes or find myself in this position of having to defend and be like, yes, it is horror. You know, when people are like, well, Midsummer is just kind of like a dreamy psychological thriller. And I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> there's a murder cult. And here, like, there's there's really no denying it. Like it is, there is some gruesome body horror and it's smart as hell and it's beautiful. I love it, right? It's not above those yeah. like, car- no. it's not above the carnival thrills that make horror movies good, but there's so, something so much like deeper at the core of it. The, yeah, the insertion of the hook alone. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, that part is so bloody. And yeah, you've got all of these, you know, vicious kills and, you know, some of them we see on screen, some of them we don't, but they're all very bloody. You have the supernatural element of him appearing in the mirrors. And then you have the body horror where he's literally becoming honeycomb. I'm sorry, Elizabeth. (laughs) It's okay. It's just so tripophobia. If anyone has seen that season of American Horror Story, Mm -hmm. it is a thing. Um, I will gag. I like when I saw it heading in that direction in the theater, this beautiful man that I'm just like, cannot tear my eyes away from. I'm obsessed with this actor. (laughs) I wish I could properly do it justice and pronounce his name. Um, when it started crawling up his neck, like I was already not cool with the hand that like rotting kind of, I was like, Oh, I don't even stop picking it. Maybe there's a hook under there or something. I don't want to know. Like, (laughs) but then it started crawling and you could cut, like there was one scene, my friend leans over and she's like, Oh my gosh, this is so good. And I was like, fucking look at his neck. Is that shit going to mess up his face? Dude, as soon as, as soon as I saw the like pattern, I went, Oh no, Elizabeth. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> that's when I cover my eyes. Not much makes me cover my eyes in horror. That that'll do. And it. I don't have um, that. I don't I have that, but it's disgusting. Case I feel your pain. It doesn't make me like gag, but it does uh, like give me anxiety. And they hid that so well. And the way it kind of creeped in and they didn't pull attention yeah. to it. So I think it's about the time he's sitting in the reporter's uh, yes. apartment and you can start catching it, the shadows. Ah. And I actually caught myself in the theater going, you know what's funny though? It well, kinda... I like that you know, it's sometimes in horror movies, it's like some horrific body transformation is happening and no one's saying anything. Oh but he goes to dinner with that art that. arts critic, and that girl's like, "Careful when he's like." Yeah. Well, know, my friend, I thought was an, she's an esthetician, so she does skin for a living, and like the whole time, I'm just like repulsed because I can see what's coming with them 
fucking with his skin and like I, I cannot deal with that as we stated she on the other hand is like oh honey no like that's a pet it's a scar you need to know just oh I wish he would quit doing that and I was like I don't think he's looking for like an Ayurvedic skincare <laughs> it's right kind of now. funny like, to like not- it kind of made me laugh because they it's like before he's fully on crazy he is not nearly concerned enough about his hand no like yeah. eventually oh, you kind of just go along person. with it eventually you kind of go along with it because you're like Oh well, he's 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 going to the other side. Like he's not paying attention to it. But like, then regular people around him do not seem at all concerned enough about his face. At least they say that. That one girl at the dinner I was talking about. I appreciate like, that. Careful. Just uh, hey, yeah. what, hey, buddy, you got some shit Usually, when on your you face see, then. that's like a very modern way to address, like to to present that with somebody acting in a way that's a little like askance of like what is going on in in picking his skin at a dinner table and then we had like usually in movies we would like see someone just like notice it and like politely look away or stuff like i like it feels representative of the world we live in now where the world is on fire and you just say what you see and like (laughs) somebody was just like that's fucked don't pick your hand don't do that that." yeah 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 like at the same time though like by day three, because we're watching this unfold over days. By day three, his hand is starting to turn gray, and it's obviously creeping up his arms. Like, dude, you got to notice that. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he was losing it over here. I think yeah. there was well, that was that was indicative of his like being oh definitely like, taken over to this. Yeah, thing. but not only did I mean, not only was it cool body horror, and we got to see the hive or not the hive, but rather the honeycomb sort of pattern coming up his body. But that was a catalyst to get him to go to the hospital, and he finds out where he was born. It's like it's actually woven really thoughtfully into totally. the story. It's oh, not yeah, just a hundred percent. It was actually yeah, good job. You're totally right. <laughs> it was just a thing that kept making me giggle. Like, is no one gonna say anything? To me? <laughs> um, I think like the it's a really fascinating decision to sort of make. Like, basically, what the movie presents is that the Cabrini Green that we saw in the original film. Which actually, like, it's already being gentrified in the original film because that's the whole thing is that this apartment she's in is actually just this plastered over old, you know, like, project apartment building. Um, In this one, like, the housing units are pretty much almost empty and the high-rises have all been converted. And this this black couple who are our main characters, like, the... um, the woman is like an art. What do we call it? Is that like an art, like agent or dealer or something? Curator. Yeah, and Brianna's yeah. a curator, and Anthony is a an artist. And artist. he's an he's an artist, and so like it's a really interesting choice to basically make them. We hear them, especially in the beginning, kind of railing against um, what the city has done to these neighborhoods by gentrifying them. But then it's also pointed out really kind of uncomfortably by a white character in the scene. They're like, Oh, but you guys like also live here. And they're like, "Mm." (laughs) so (laughs) it's interesting to put them in that situation. And it's sort of like what we see is these two characters trying to, they're living in this gentrified world. And it's like, they sort of both rail against it, but also in their own ways seem to be trying to be accepted by it. And so we see kind of that struggle for them, I guess, like you'd say, trying to find really what their place is in this world while also kind of like reckoning with the past. Well, it's reconciling that dissonance between like, this is bad and this is problematic and it's a comfortable place for me to live. It's like when I, it's like when I order a toilet. It's very like, um, it's recapitulating. It's like a, it's like a movie about what I feel when I order toilet paper off Amazon. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) So, but like, yeah. 
Oh I'm just kidding. It's that, a much more. Pull quote for I'm this just one, kidding. Yeah. It's a much more serious <laughs> movie. But you. Know what I mean. um, yeah. I. So we can, if you don't mind, jumping around a little bit, Do and it. I guess we can come back to the twist, spoilery part at the end. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention while we're on the subject of sort of like Black Lives Matter and social justice. So did any of you stick through the credits? The credits were gorgeous. So they play mm -hmm. the it was always or it was always you, Helen, or whatever that original Candyman theme is, and it's very. I think it's just called Helen's theme. It's very twinkly, though. Like the the way they do it is very twinkly and very light. And they throughout the movie use shadow puppets, paper shadow puppets, to sort of tell the stories of these black men that were murdered at the hands of white supremacy. So we get that through the movie, but the, what we get in the credits is a retelling of all of those, and. At the end, you get one Candyman, you know, the silhouette of the Candyman with the hook, and then behind him come, like, rows and rows of other Candymen, sort of referencing, like, the fact that this is happening to George Floyd, it happened to Tamir Rice, it happened to Mike Brown, like, Breonna Taylor, like, it's just, it, like, the ripple effect of it was really, really moving, and I'm glad I stayed and through. It was beautiful. Um, I wonder what artist is responsible for that, because it's gorgeous. Uh, don't we have a Brianna character in this movie as well? Yeah, the, yeah the that doesn't that doesn't feel accidental. No, I don't I, think yeah. it was. The, the credits I think that's did one look of the cool. beautiful and powerful things about this movie is just that they were able to expand on that mythology in a way that makes so much sense today. Because although we, although like black men have been killed for as long as you know, like history has existed, we are now so aware of it. So I think right. it was really cool that they included that, that Candyman isn't just this one event in time that happened, but really a lineage of black men and the black community being victimized by well, white What's people. interesting yeah. is it's set up in both the first movie and then touched on in the second, definitely, mm -hmm. that um, this urban legend is a way for a community to collectively sort right. of deal with this trauma that's inflicted daily on their people and in reality, it is horrifically like an actual amalgam of like the people that this has been inflicted on. So it's very, I feel like there were white characters, specifically Virginia Madsen in the first one, who, though well-meaning in her research and trying very much to have an elevated conversation that's very academic about it, is almost. It was still like, almost, it was still like tourism. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And in this, I feel like you got a closer seat to what that life results in generationally. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact, and I'll throw up a spoiler here, going to pander, do, 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 do. Okay, so I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was the baby. Yeah. You right. know, it's like it comes back to the fact that the, like we're using this lore and this mythology like we always do. The reason we have lore and mythology to cope with a lot of the traumas and a lot of the confusing and upsetting parts of our history and parts of our reality. Dude, and it was, I love yeah. that they bring him back as the. It was so. It was so good. It was so good. That was the part that really kind of blew my mind as this unfolded, not knowing what I was getting into. Once they started, once he found out where he was born, and it saw yeah. the pieces starting to fall together, that was the moment I was like, "Oh, yeah, it's so exciting!" It was so good to have that actress. Sorry, it was so good to have that actress back. I totally forgot she was in the trailer. So when she showed up, I'm like, "Okay, how?" 
She is not CG, unlike the Tony Todd that shows up. And she looks that exactly age. the same. It's, it was creeping exactly me out. Um, yeah. But she, <laughs> man, I, I mean, she is really the sort of like underappreciated all-star of that first film because there are really great performances all around her and she's in a sort of a smaller chunk of the movie. But she is so intense, so emotional in that movie. And it's really neat to kind of see that character come full circle. The other thing in the baby thing too, I thought was... From the start, they do this thing where they disc, they talk about how these things just become myth and sort of become interwoven into the culture as myth. And, but And when this is happening, a character is like recalling the myth of the 1992 Candyman, but is recalling like getting details wrong, but yeah. in a way that makes sense for like the telephone game of how myths are. The created. oral history. Like it's totally like much. inflated and over the top and also makes her into much more of like a straight slasher villain and this they show the same thing happen too with the actual can't dude with the candy living mm-hmm. in the like they show that the same thing right how like myth makes these people into monsters and then the movie just shows you like this other thing so but in the beginning i didn't know it was like okay are they changing these details of the original story but then when you see the whole thing you realize like that no they're just showing the way that it gets passed down and that is like was brilliant to me the way that the, cause especially yeah. for somebody again, to Elizabeth's point, like you could, I think you could see this cold without having seen the original film and get a ton out of it and not really feel lost because they do enough and they do it really gracefully giving you the information you need for, on the backstory without making it feel too info dumpy, which is amazing yeah. considering they're usually using literally using puppets. Like it's kind of amazing how yeah. w- well woven it is into the movie. Um, but, uh, what I really appreciated for that part of it in particular is it's really fun as a person who's seen the first movie so many times to hear like how they're playing with that throughout the movie. Well, he also gave it, sorry. He also gave us though, like those links, that whole exposition that was coming from that guy, Coleman Domingo is the actor who I love. I would listen to that guy, read the dictionary to me any day. Yeah. Um, But it also linked out like, to show how the Candyman was like what they what Caitlin ex- described at the, you know after the credits with the puppet show and stuff on how it actually is happening everywhere and he links it because he tells us about other he mentions a couple other Candyman that was one of my favorite parts when we see Anthony starts to get the painting vibe and starts painting and then once his uh, girlfriend comes upstairs and see what seeing what he's been working on and you realize he's painting like five different Candyman. Yeah, uh, and that was so good. Like, I, I mean, I loved that. Dude, those, and I loved those, his break of being like, don't come in here. Dude, those, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You see that yeah. played out in a lot of horror that, like, the artist is going mad and, like, what are they meaning? Yeah. This, too, very, very uh, amazing effect. I feel like having seen that scene acted out several times in different works, yeah. it, it did what it was. I mean, there's whole, we've reviewed, we've reviewed multiple whole movies that are just that about an artist, like, mm-hmm. freaking getting possessed or something. Those yeah. the what made me laugh was like the paintings that he does of all the faces that are mo- like a lot of blacks and like reds are incredible. Like I want a wall of these things, and she's horrified by them. And I'm like, what? Do you know what art is? Because this your man is making it over here, and you're just like <laughs> horrified. Like I don't disturbed because of the departure from his uh, original style, maybe like or the the sort of just like space. She doesn't notice she doesn't notice the oozing hand, but she's not into his work, his incredible artwork. <laughs> she, she does notice and she's like, babe, your hand. <laughs> so like I like that everybody's like 
are you good? And he's yeah. clearly not. But it's also like we get that sort of trope of a possessed or, or a, an artist becoming possessed by the work. But what's so cool is like cool and heartbreaking is that he inherited that we'll say possession, but he also inherited all that generational trauma of all the black men murdered before him. And being that he was the baby sort of born into that cycle, it's like, holy shit. It's not just sort of the art is overtaking him, but it's like this whole sort of like mythology, this whole narrative, this oppression. It's just like, they really nailed it. And he did such a good job. How do you feel about the, cause like she is given she's given a backstory about her own trauma. And um, like, I wonder if anybody has thoughts about how that weaves into the larger mythos. Cause I don't, I, cause I don't know. Some interesting points on email about. Yeah. I, so I, I'm not sure about how it weaves into the larger mythos. I know that, you know, it's referenced that her dad died by suicide um, and he was an artist and that he was struggling and now she's, you know, partnered with Anthony right, and right. he's an artist and he's struggling. Um, but I, what I really appreciated is that she experiences what a lot of black women do and a lot of other women of color is the layering of both sexism and racism. So she's dealing with the effects of racism in an institution, this art world that is dominantly overwhelmingly white. And when she does find an ally in another woman, that's like sort of welcoming her into this museum scene, the woman's like, Oh yeah. And it's just so cool because you know, your dad had that thing and now your boyfriend (laughs) has this thing. And she's like, yeah, I'm also like a good curator. (laughs) Which is interesting because it's flipping the script a little bit even in its own story which keeps you on your toes mentally with her art because at first you see her bringing him into this world and other people kind of shitting on it and being like what street fair did you pick this piece up from and she's like that's his and like we you get the feeling that she's had allegations of like him writing some coattails or like her in injecting him into this world or this show because of their connection. And so then immediately for it to be the moment he gets sexy and it's scandalous for people to be like, Oh, and him and you're with, and you can bring him. And like, we see that she's been dealing with this with her dad for a while and doesn't want to go there. And like her emotional agency is not respected at all in her job. It's yeah. It's, well, it, it sort it's of effective. underscores that there was never going to be a place for here for her here in this scene due to institutional racism right. and sexism. And it's like she's worked so hard, and it all comes back to just like, well, that fucking sucks. <laughs> and you feel it in her performance, just how tired she is and how hard she's worked. And then that culminating with the scene of her in the back of that cop car, where you're just like, okay, like suck it all. <laughs> like, Let's this do is, it. Point the mirror uh, at me. I gotta but say, I, I, knew she, I was like, do it, girl, do it. I gotta say, I like, anytime I get any view of like this art scene situation, I am repulsed. Like, right? I know that's usually Fair kind enough. of the point they're trying to show you how gross it is, but it's like more than any body horror thing in this movie. Listening to that, like, curator dude made me want to mm-hmm. jump out of my skit. Like, how, oh, ugh. yeah, he's the worst. The worst. And I think it's interesting, too, that in that scene where our main character, Anthony, goes and talks with that art critic woman, she lambasted his work at first. And the only reason she's giving him credit now is essentially his proximity to violence and trauma, that now that makes his work relevant and interesting. And the same really goes for Brianna, too, right? The, The woman only sort of gives her kudos and thinks that she might do something wonderful in the art world because her father died by suicide and her boyfriend now is connected to this violence. It's such a great story. Yeah, exactly. Which is a theme here, like people's 
stories. And so for hers to be reduced to this just being commodified, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. And that these black voices are only important in relation to the violence and trauma they've experienced. I do call yeah. bullshit on the, the, um, the, the, from a news perspective, like the idea that after this first murder, the person on the news goes, they were found dead in front of the art piece, blah, 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 by this guy. And it's like, that. come on, are you fu- like, but I no. did love that moment. If anybody is a Gone Girl fan, uh, the moment where Ben Affleck smiles when they're taking his photo next to <laughs> He's his like, they wife. said my name. He's like, they said my name. And like, everybody's like, oh, that, that first, that, <laughs> and, and that's inappropriate. That first news yeah. piece in particular was just so bad for that reason. Cause that would, it was so unrealistic. I suppose maybe by like the second time there's a murder related to it. Like maybe they're the cops, for more, but yeah. still like, it was a little silly. <laughs> They went really quick to the connection between that artist's work and that teen. Well, that's what I'm saying. As yeah. Well. yeah. Yeah. I loved that scene though. I the bathroom like scene at the, the school bathroom. was yeah, that so good. It's good. So I love like so they use mirrors a lot in this, and that's that's pretty. Yeah, I mean, a lot of horror movies use mirrors to like sort of like show us our reflection and like the monsters we become and sort of like what we look like to others and and that's all well and good. But I love that he is in every reflection. Like it's the mirror, it's yeah. the shiny sort of like you know the hand pa- the paper towel dispenser at high schools that's like kind of metal and shiny. He's in the window. That's when that's when Anthony summons him. It's in the window and he's back there and you're like, oh my god. Yeah. And like but that's also great. It's showing how many surfaces we are reflected into ourselves in modern society. Interesting. Yeah. Like you can't turn anywhere and not see a reflective surface. So it's almost making the point. I feel like we are being shown who we are constantly, daily, a million times a day. You can't forget and still it. Don't yeah. want to look and don't really want to see. It's neat. Yeah, it's neat too. In the horror nerd uh, angle too. They've made this version of Candyman iconic with the mirrors, whereas like in the first movie, it was the bees, the bees. so it's, to speak. And so the bees are still there. They take kind of a side seat and he gets his own thing, which makes this its own movie. It's but guys, neat. what's important is those girls get fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also neat. Like they're making a decision to to like show some murders just straight up real nasty style. Right. And then like. What's interesting about that scene is it's actually not very viscerally like showing you violence, but it's like, okay, I'm not just going to cut the camera away. We're going to try to do this in an artistic way where it actually amps up the tension to not show you because of the way the camera is well, moving and the way the character is discovering what's happening and yeah. that kind of thing. You're also experiencing on that one young that girl, girl in, in the, the bathroom stall. stall. So yeah. it's almost like we get to experience it in this, right. in my opinion, as somebody who deals with this, a uh, neurodivergent individual who maybe has a little difficulty dealing with just stimulus in general. Like she's got her headphones on and she's Mm -hmm. very, you know, like isolated. Like we get this pretty fleshed out kind of feel for this character that's in the movie for two minutes. And uh, yeah, just her reaction to what is unfolding is so effective. I think too, like it's worth, it's worth noting that the, a huge switch from the first movie is that, a lot of the violence that Candyman does in the first movie is against black characters. Um, whereas in this movie, that's very switched on his head. Like I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure he actually kills a, another black character in the movie. I'd have to go back and look, but it kills a girl in the, in her bathroom. And the kid was trying to get in to play the game with her. Her yeah, brother yeah, was trying yeah. to get in. The flashback, yeah. yeah. In oh, the flashback, right. yeah. Oh, well, was that a flashback? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. A flashback, but in the but present yeah, day, I think you're right because it's like the art critic and his girlfriend or whatever. The reporter, the, young, the reporter, 
the young the art critic, the young girl in the bathroom. Yeah. That's but at the same time, thing. at the same time, though, all the white folks that gets killed in this movie, they're the ones that are saying the Candyman mantra in front of the mirror over the time mm-hmm. they hear about it. They hear about the art and they're like, oh, we got to try this. Whereas the black characters in this movie who have lived with this, grown up with this kind of legend stigma and folklore around them are like, no, I'm not saying that. But they, they showcase that really well because there's a lot of people – like even like with uh, the brother and his boyfriend and the boyfriend's like, oh, this is stupid. He starts, I'm going to start saying it. And the brother's like, no, we're not going to mess around with it. <laughs> they <laughs> because, were scene stealers, man. They really were. Oh, yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> I liked his, uh, when they come back to the apartment to get her stuff and he's acting all tough. And he's like yelling into the apartment. <laughs> he's like, Anthony, we are in the we apartment. Are in the apartment. <laughs> You're getting her clothes right and there. leaving. Do not come forward. <laughs> I need I need him to just like walk around with me all day and be like, Elizabeth needs to go to the bathroom. Everybody's <laughs> away. She's got anxiety disorder. She's not going to ask you. It's actually a yeah. pretty, it's a pretty, I mean, I keep thinking about this moment and it's like, it's actually a kind of interesting example of like boundaries. Like, okay. So they get in this argument in the studio, right? They love each. They seem to love each other very much. They have this, like this pretty supportive relationship. There's like this creative tie they have together. He is clearly like struggling with something, and she's just like trying to be there for him. But he's starting to freak her out. He then the thing that is like over the line for her is he. She's trying to say Candyman into the mirror. He picks up at least one mirror and smashes it, and then like throws another thing. And it's like what was super interesting to me in the movie is she never really up until the very end, like before he just goes full batshit, she never like, um, tries to like mend that fence or like say, Hey, what's what's up? But like, they never have like basically him acting like that was like crossing a red line for her. And that was it. And then she gets her stuff. Like the reason why I find that interesting is because I feel like most movies would model like, a, a less healthy form of relationship boundaries where the person would you're definitely right. be like, Oh babe, I know you're struggling. Like, let's talk about that. Like you as the audience know he's becoming Candyman, So you're like, you have this empathy for him that like, she wouldn't because she doesn't know what the hell's going on. This is like a person she's living with going crazy. I just, you're for some reason, point. I couldn't stop thinking about that. I just thought that was interesting. Cause I feel like well, a movie 20 years she- ago that would have played out totally differently. She does still try to help him though, because she goes. She when they're at the apartment, and she's like, "No one's heard from him. No one's seen him." She's going through her phone, calling people, and then she sees the Burke's laundry, and she does go after him. But at the same time, she's put these sort of this space between herself and, yeah, like I, I guess, the immediate danger of him, like violently in her mind, violently in his mind, protectively. Like I don't mirrors. sense that they're if somehow he doesn't die, I don't sense that they're like getting back together. No, I don't think the brother would allow it. (laughs) I like it. I like it as like a... a, Right, to see adults behaving emotionally responsible and and implementing boundaries in a healthy way is um, a departure from what you guys usually have. It's kind of unusual for movies. I feel like we are are, kind of conditioned to just accept like super unhealthy relationship dynamics in movies as like just the way... And it's bad. I think it's good sometimes. Go yeah. watch Dawson's Creek. Well. Oh boy. <laughs> That's what's wrong with all of us. I'll tell you that right now. I think uh, like and talking about Nia DeCosta herself directed the directing in this movie, 
I think she did some really cool stuff in here. There's some, yeah. she does a great job with building tension. Uh, going back to that bathroom scene, like Eric was talking about the way that is shot. There was that scene where the first girl goes around the corner and around the stalls. You hear all the squishy noises and the other girl decides to drop on her knees and look under the floors and just, and it didn't hit right away. And there's a long breath there as that girl reached down there before you saw anything was happening. You knew as the viewer it was coming. You're still holding your breath like, oh, God, how's it good? Bad's it going to be? Yeah. And it's a literal sheet of blood that comes down. That's like, it's pretty not, sweet. Yeah. It's perfectly balanced between like, OK, we're not seeing her throat ripped out or whatever it was. But we're also not seeing like a trickle of blood. We're seeing it's like, nope, it is happening. And it is horrific. And that's also a super cramped space. Like, it's not it takes visual skill to create that kind of tension in a space that tiny. So I think it's that yeah. scene is a pretty big accomplishment. The only scene that really tops it for me is, um, is the, uh, the apartment scene with the critic where he specifically the part where he sees this other Candyman as his reflection for the first time. And like, however they did this, I was probably just full, like, you know, motion suit, whatever. I don't know how they did it exactly, but there was some CG involved. But like almost annihilation style where the, you know, cause it's a reflection. It's like this other character mimicking his movements, but just the way the camera was moving and the weird uncanny Valley nature of the reflection. It was just a really, really cool kind of scene. Yeah, I love that I shot think... too. When, sorry, I, no, go ahead. I, go ahead. I like that shot went from that same apartment at the end as they pulled away too. And you saw what was happening and yeah, there was nobody cool. in the room with her. I'd like that. Yeah. That I think all of those kills are so great when you see some of it actually happening in the mirror with Candyman, but then you pull back to reality and it's just an invisible, you know, force doing it. And yeah. I think that Nia DaCosta does such a beautiful job because even in parts of the movie where there isn't sort of tension or traditional horror, I think it's all shot so beautifully. Like this film just looks great gorgeous and then she also does do all of these tricks with the mirrors and even things like slow zooms that build the tension i think that she's a real talent and i know that she's off to do like a superhero movie now but i really hope that she comes back and does more genre stuff i do yeah. too oh For yeah sure. so let's well, talk she about- made history with this one she uh, yeah she absolutely was the first did. black woman director to debut a film at the number top one at the box well. office yeah yeah which is i mean that's, that's huge yeah. So as far as like the third act, um, my my issue with the pacing, there's just one weird, like it's really a pretty well-paced movie. And then all of a sudden there's this scene where like we're in a church and also we're like almost at the end of the third act. And I didn't know yeah. we were there like that. And it's like something about this character of this guy who still lives in the projects that Irk. there's just a little bit about his arc, like suddenly he's way more involved in the movie than I expected him to be. And he's mm-hmm. saying a bunch of shit that I'm like, wait, what? Like he yeah. has, he has motives. I don't fully understand. Um, but my biggest issue is really how I just feel like there's no ramp up to that church scene. And suddenly we're just in it. And I was like, Oh my God, is this the finale of the movie? Like, Holy shit. I yeah. will say we can talk about it, but the very, the last five minutes are dope. Like the last five minutes yeah. <laughs> are really yeah. fantastic. And for me, like kind of got me back into it, but it's a real weird, like hard turn there for a second. Yeah. It's just kind of jarring because we've, we spent all that time with, uh, you said his knit character's name is Burke. Caitlin. Mm-hmm. The yeah, laundromat we sp- guy. Yeah. We spent all this time with, with Burke and he's kind of our, He's uh, our voice he's our of liaison. Reason. Yeah, he's our voice of reason and kind of unfolding the backstory. He's like the prophet of, of doom in a way too. Yeah. yeah. 
there was no real indication that he had other motives going through there up until this happened. That's the problem I had with it because he seemed like he was like a, a trustworthy person, that, trustworthy person, and there was no signs or hints that that could go other way. That he had other motivations. His was whole, it like an editing thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the movie needed a few more minutes because it's not a very long Same. movie. And I think if you had added a few more minutes to connect those dots a little better, it, you would have built up the tension and that scene would have been even more intense and sort of made sense in the context of the larger movie. Well, it's a little tough to, to like, I mean, because you can't not make some comparison to the finale of the original film, which is like insanely operatic. Like you're in a, the church, this like, this um, Philip Glass, like, church organ is blaring and like all this crap, the bonfire and she's crawling out. Like it's, it's a much more like understated ending and an ending this there's music does not play as heavily in it as until the very, very end. So like, it just feels a lot different from that first film. Um, (laughs) but I will say though, they bring so many of the themes together so nicely at the end here where, our main character sort of finds him and police show up. And in a moment where the audience, you're like, Oh God, no, she just like calls for the police. Cause she expects them to help her. And I mean, I mean, I they're coming cause Burke called them, but yeah, she's her yeah. face falling in that moment. That was such a good physical moment of acting for her. Um, Cause you really see her just being like for real, like, right. just like yeah. dead inside. Like she's just like, and here we are. And like, I now have, well, because I imagine too, like, it's hard. I imagine in those moments, Caitlin, I think you said it. It's like, um, it doesn't matter if she's like upper middle class. Right. And then like, but I think like, no, I mean, yeah, it doesn't You can't ascribe like, like we're as movie watchers going like, Oh no, don't do that. But it's like, there's a lot of, um, instinct happening in that moment where you see lights and you're like, saviors are here. And like, you don't think about it and you just go, even if you do grow up with that fear, like she has this moment where she like trusts, trusts in authority and like, obviously lets her down. Cause obviously, um, what's I just really quick before I forget about, it, I want to say like, I, I'm just obsessed with the visual of these one story, like row houses or whatever you'd call them, like just in the middle of the city with all of these huge high rises around them. And they're also empty. It's like a weird ghost town in the middle of this very populated place it's such a neat visual it's a relic and we have there's a a complex called grady and it's right by one of the police stations in richmond and it looks exactly like that like those squat square brick tan brick buildings that and like i mean that's that's who lives in it in richmond it's like it's a mostly black community is right by the police station and like i've had friends that live there and every time i go i'm like this is like another place it's just so weird because the police are right there but it's like I wouldn't want them to come here because they're going to arrest people on, you know, well, it's just neat. It's neat for a film to give you like that sense of isolation and fear in the middle of a city. It's kind of, it's a really Mm -hmm. interesting. Well, that's something that's really impressive about urban horror. There's people everywhere usually. And when you can get that sort of desolate and haunted feeling in an urban crowded space, like I I think that takes some talent. Which they do wonderfully in the first one. And I think that's something that is carried over into the, film that's also just executed really well and this this and yeah and this final final scene where you get to see like all the the candy men's and they give you that shot of like cg de-aged tone i don't i mean it looked full cg to me who can say 
But um, I wonder how they would, I wonder if they would like, if they mo-capped Tony Todd and then put a younger version over him. It's full like Neo in the Matrix 2 style. <laughs> like, Or what do they do? Mark <laughs> Hamill? Mark Hamill, I guess would be a much more modern example. But it's know. Tony Todd's still a pretty good looking dude. Dude, it's so cool. <laughs> and to hear his voice, a thing that um, people may not remember about the first film is his voice is, it's just naturally really deep and booming, but they also, it is heavily, heavily affected to yeah. the point where if you watch that first film with good speakers, it's like rumble in your house. Like it's, yeah, it is, you feel it in your core if you've got some good bass. And they do that again here first with our Candyman's voice. And then it kind of like the way the camera spins around, I think he's like walking, right? And the camera's spinning and we see the different reflections in the car. And then it finally spins all the way around and we see the Tony Todd version. Um, dude, it's just so And he's neat. hovering. It was just know, so, yeah. his feet are dragging. Did he, yeah, did he hover movie. in the original? I don't think yes, so. There's a scene he where did? there is a oh, scene okay. where he hovers, yeah. Um, like, that's a hell of a visual. He does walk yeah. some. He does walk some, but there there's at least one scene where he's hovering. Um, Eric, to your point with like the, the bass in his voice, but also you have this hive of bees, which has this like hum around it yeah. too. So like your brain is already sort of cued into like there's noise and you're sort of piecing out the different it's so sort good, of dude. things there. And you're, you like tune into that Tony Todd voice and I don't know, it like gave me chills for sure. Well, and kind of in true form to the original, there is some catharsis, but it's also a very dark, tragic ending. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. But you get, listen, you get to see the cops, you know. You <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, right. I mean <laughs> yeah, you get that dramatic retribution kind of ending that right, it's is like super satisfying and cathartic. Another and, movie and I probably mentioned. even more so if you're a person of color watching this. Okay. But it also is so sad because he has to die first. Right. So it's like it's, it's similar to the ending of like Promising Young Woman. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. change anything that happened, but it's still like some some version of like movie catharsis, I guess. Well, and we, we also get, I mean, comparing it to Promising Young Woman, the end of the last line we get here is tell everyone. And it's like, Ooh. yeah, and that's all <laughs> we get at yeah. Promising Young Woman. Like everyone knows, you know, because the texts and go the out. So, mm-hmm. uh, so like, I, 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 at least there's that. I mean, it's tragic. And then the, <gasps> when the credits roll and it's like seeing all these horrible stories again, it's like, oh, fuck, like this is really heavy. It's but, just, it's such a great <laughs> example of like how powerful a movie like this can be when you both are really upfront and bold with the message, but you also make a freaking awesome genre movie. Like it, when you yeah. can get people more emotionally involved by just making a good piece of like cinema, it makes the message more potent. And it also gives the message the potential to reach more people. You can't like, it's not enough to just say it. You really got to bring it like creatively and emotionally. And this movie hits like all of those buttons. Yeah. And I think they did a good job um mixing mixing it up with that stuff too sorry i lost my train of thought there i had a point but it got away <laughs> sorry dude it happens to us all right anyone else any any scenes we missed you want to bring up favorite parts or i like the use of shadow puppets throughout mm. because yeah. it is yeah. um it's visually very dynamic and also to me very much evokes um, like a way to tell a story where you are not touching the characters mm. and that might feel more comfortable when telling really problematic or upsetting stories. Mm. And so it's almost like these like paper thin puppets are like, you see the fragility of 
something like a community ravaged by systematic racism at the hands of white supremacy. Like it's, it's a very delicate, almost like fragile medium to tell a story with, but also could be told by any child that's marionetting it. You don't have to have that puppet on your hand. Well, and I just, I just thought of this too. It also mirrors the thing we were talking about with myth where like eventually myth, all you're doing is recalling like a shadow of an event that's right. Especially yeah. the longer you get away from the event, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it casts the shadow, you know, the story lives on and you're able right. to see the events unfold, even if you're not seeing who is doing the unfold. Metaphors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there are some scenes in the movie where the messaging and themes are a little heavy handed, where the characters are explicitly telling you the themes instead of showing you, but there are also some more, subtle nuanced scenes in this film that I think the director did so well. There's one where uh, the character Anthony is starting his investigation and he's walking to Cabrini green and he sees a cop car and he just subtly kind of like, ducks I love back. that scene. I love yeah. That and scene. it's, it's, it's a very quick scene and nobody says anything, but it tells you so much about that character's state of mind and the things that they've experienced in their life. Mm-hmm. When Brianna, well, even also, if she needs their help, her body language changes immediately. Once oh the yeah. In the absolutely. Picture. Like it's just very, it is subtle mm-hmm. and very nuanced, but it, I noticed that as well. Well, when Anthony jumps out, like jumps back rather sort of behind the building to get out of view of the cops, that's how we get introduced to Burke. Because he's like, yeah, don't worry, true. they only yeah. come here when, you know, there's like X, Y, or Z happening. Like, that's our exposition to him. It's it's all woven really. It's very, you're nice. right. It's very tightly yeah. I was, I do remember what I was going to say now, but they did a good job. Like Erica said, they're being super bold with the message and that message is strong throughout, but they also did a good job of working in some horror tropes that were dual action as far as going along with the message of the movie and tying it back to like an old fashioned horror movie. The whole thing with him being the baby from the previous movie is horror one oh one. but like uh-huh. Caitlin said, it's also him you know, getting bored into all of this, you know, with no choice either. But what I love is we were all shocked. Like, we should be the people figuring this out from God. Exactly. They make it right. very well for us all to be like, damn, bro. Like, that's sweet. That's good. I'm also willing to put up with a little, like, overtelling if the rest of it's balanced and kind of nuanced. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. or when it's done this well, I give you, I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway and just, like, yelling things at my face. If it, if the rest of it's it's awesome. a message that needs to hit, so yeah. I want it to land. And there will be people sitting in the theater who are distracted. And if a character is not saying, the motivation was probably this, and you should probably be upset about it. They aren't even catching. Like, my, my mom's one of these people that I'm just like, that was important what they just said. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that exists for a reason, I think, in these sort of yeah. like more mainstream films. But um, to the incredibly prolific view, I mean, we've seen so much that you just you see stuff like that and i the instinct to want to like tighten it up or just kind of like you don't really need that i uh, totally understand well eric you had mentioned any other scenes and there <laughs> this is so stupid but you know the scene where the the art critic the like smarmy one who you know it's oh, like a God. little cathartic where she's like dragged against her window um <laughs> yeah. when they're pulling back from that and you're seeing everybody's apartment like four or five apartments are all watching the same football game. And I'm like, of course they are. It's game night. Like it's so accurate. It's just so funny. <laughs> like the little, yeah. Like the little details <laughs> of that where it's like, yeah, that's like it, for whatever reason, like that felt thoughtful and just so funny to me. That endears me to a film so immediately. Like those details. Yeah. 
And I also like, I mean, she didn't deserve to die, but it was kind of like, oh, there she, she did say it. Cause we get the fake out where it's like, I mean, did she say Candyman five times? Cause she I came out like of the that. bathroom. Okay. And Which then, is paying homage to the opening of, uh, the first. I was okay with it generally. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I gotta say too, I wish I'd say through the credits, but I was in a theater with two other people and they left as soon as it ended. And I, for some reason I have this thing inside of me. Like I love watching. It's like my dream to watch a movie in a theater alone. But for some reason, the second the credits hit, I'm like, I'm going to be murdered. I need to get the hell out of here. Like for some reason, my brain's like, that's when the murderer shows up when the movie's over and they're right behind me right now. So I just like zoomed out. <laughs> everyone else in my theater left. And then like the people were coming in to, to, you know, get everyone out. And I was like, I heard I should stay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, I'm having a moment here. Can you? Know? And I was like wiping tears and they were like, Okay. I know I can't <laughs> see. Up, I give you credit because I can't handle that kind of like social pressure of like t- yeah. dumb teenagers staring at me because they want to like get off their shift. Or whatever. <laughs> um, all right, guys, it's time to wrap the review up here. Um, thumbs up, Ariel. Yeah, absolutely. Elizabeth. Totally. Casey. Yes. Caitlin. Yeah. Yes. Samesies. All right, guys. Let us take a quick break and do some fan mail. For the movie Rolling Stone magazine calls a delicious blend of fun and fright that's smashingly scary. It was funny. It was exciting. It's a scream, baby. The whole thing is fun. Never say, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Sensational, terrific entertainment, says the LA Times. Scream is sexy. I was screaming at the top of my lungs and laughing hysterically all at the same time. Scream. This is great. You have to see it. Rated R, now playing. Hi there, I'm Judith O'Day from George Romero's original Night of the Living Dead, and you're listening to Bloody Good Horror. Send feedback to info at bloodygoodhorror.com or on Twitter using hashtag AskPGH. Join Patreon to get back episodes and much more. Patreon.com slash bloodygoodhorror. Caitlin. Eric. I just added you to a spreadsheet called... I'm looking at it. Eric's top 10 of 2021. Can you guess why I did that? Guess what you get to do. (laughs) I love this job. I'm excited. Uh, Do you have it open? I do. Um, Mine's on the left. You can ignore that other one. Okay. Um, Can you tell me what I have on my list right now? Sure. Do you want me to read all of the ones you have? Please. All right. So at number one, you currently have Promising Young Woman. Number two, you have Fear Street. Three is Werewolves Within. Four is Saint Maud. Five is The Stylist. You've got a couple of open spots here in the middle, and then uh, rounding out the bottom of your top ten are Boys from County Hell, Psycho Gorman, and Censor. 
put this for now at number two, please. And okay. you, may, you may slide everything else down. All right. Thank you, friend. You it was too it. much pressure to do it myself. I needed someone else to help. <laughs> um, Ariel, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. This first, has been great. First time in the show. Do you want to tell us a little yeah. bit about Zombie Girls? Yeah. So I'm on a couple of podcasts that are part of the Zombie Girls Network. We have five podcasts in total. So there's kind of something for everybody's taste. But the ones that I'm on are the Zombie Girls, which is sort of the longstanding podcast. It's just a group of women, friends. We talk about horror movies from a more feminist perspective, although a lot of times we just end up kind of goofing around. So there's that too. And then our newer podcast is called uh, More Deadly. And that one is Rachel and I, who was on the other week. And we talk about movies that are directed by women identified directors. So all horror movies directed by women. I love it. And so there's a spelling on that, right? Like if people want to look it up. Yeah, it's Zombie Girls. Girls is spelled G-R-R-L-Z. Thank you for that reminder. Oh, Like sure. Riot Girls. If you exactly. were ever like an Ani DeFranco fan, like that's how oh, you yeah. Like if Lady <laughs> is in your repertoire, exactly you know. Right. Leader yep, you got it. You got yeah, it. and if you, search, <laughs> if you search Zombie Girls, it's like one feed and it'll have all those shows on it, right? It'll have all of them. Yes, awesome. exactly. Okay, and are, do you, what are you guys on like Twitter, Instagram, if you have it? So we're ZG pod or ZG podcast, plural. Love it. Check it out. Um, Elizabeth, what are you up to these days? Speaking of the fabulous zombie girls and the more deadly podcast, I just actually today, uh, there was um, an episode that dropped that I was a guest host on and we were discussing the invitation. Um, It's a good one. I love. Yeah, it was it was so much fun. You guys oh, are a great time. My new best friends, whether you yes. like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was wonderful. So check that out. So um, yeah, I'm uh, at Final Girl Scout on all social media, and um, we'll have a website coming soon. And hit me up on Gmail if you really enjoy the plug it up uh, theme song. That was me and Eric here. Just having some fun it's true. producing and <laughs> singing, uh, but we'll do it for you. Do you want your dog to have a theme song that sounds like it may be from RoboCop? Like we can do that. So <laughs> you should you should just e- email me at finalgirlscout at gmail.com. Love it. And also you were just on a really good episode of Plug It Up about excision. Excision. Yes. Plug It Up did. We just, uh, we just dropped that bad episode. Uh, that's I've been getting favorites. a lot of uh, feedback on ex- Listen, this excision is it, episode. Is it that bitch is crazy? What are you doing on this <laughs> podcast with her? No, it's mostly um, folks that had never seen the movie and did for the first time. And it's, uh, if you haven't oh, seen wow. it, check it out. But uh, it's I, have, a very, I have a plug it up episode coming out next week that I am very excited about. So I yeah. would say to keep an eye on that. The excision episode is super good. I listened to it. It was, it was a very good listen. So check that out. Plug it up. Bloody Get Horror presents. Um, love it. And that's Final Girl Scout on social media. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. All right, Casey. Yes. Oh, wait, really quick. Um, <laughs> dates and stuff. We said this last week, but the BGH 5K, October 16th. Uh, the weekend, the whole weekend, you have to do it. Take a picture of your stuff. You get to choose what stuff that is. I'm just kidding. Your uh, GPS that you walk to or run to and um, send it to us and we'll see who can beat Schnars this year. Uh, I walked yesterday, Casey. Oh my. So my training has begun. 
Can I row it? I have a rowing machine. That was my quarantine purchase. Sure. I don't care. Row it, I don't know if that's allowed, but listen, we'll it's in the spirit of. Can getting... I do bicycle kicks like from my bed watching Gilmore Girls? <laughs> it's in the spirit of getting horror fans up and moving, and it's a nice community thing, and um, you know, it's always a lot of fun. So check that out. And then we are going to do another Halloween Zoom meetup for patrons only. If you're a patron, you might remember that from last year. We did a costume contest. We did some like mind-bending trivia stuff. Um, and I dress up as schnars. So if you want to see me dress up as quarantine schnars this year, because I got to keep it going, uh, come hang out. It'll be fun. Join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodygoodhorror. Casey, now you may go on Twitter. Alrighty. Before we do that, though, I am going to drop a plug because uh, I sat in this past weekend with the uh, folks from Tale or Dads from the Crypt. So this Sunday, you'll be able to hear me hanging out with the Dads from the Crypt talking about the season two episode "Cutting Cards," which is actually a pretty famous one with Lance Henriksen and Kevin Ty. So, so they're Dads from the Crypt. Also, um, another show with a super cool theme song that I produced for them. Yes. Um, Eric, were your ears burning? I was talking about it last night when Jason was on Plug It Up. <laughs> no, that's exciting. Um, they are, yeah. yeah. For killing it. Y'all should definitely check out that podcast. They are a bunch of BGH fans and patrons and friends. And yeah, they're just having a lot of fun talking about dad stuff and Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, it's a good time. Tales from the Crypt is, I don't like anthologies. Like I'm pretty outspoken against them. It's my political platform. I don't like them. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt is amazing. Like every episode of that series is pretty great on some level. Yeah. I'm going to change your mind about that anthology thing. Or We're going to start watching Twilight <laughs> The Good only luck. exception I make besides that is the first 30 seconds of every episode of Tales from the Dark Side when the theme plays. And that's about it. From the dark Alrighty, side. Alrighty, to Twitter. We have our hashtag AskBGH. Feel free to use that hashtag. Ask us a question. First up, we have at Sandman underscore 730. What insect scares you the most? That's oh, millipede, centipede, whatever the ones that move really fast are. Yeah, yeah. Or oh. like anything that doesn't have legs but has more like, what, like cilia? Like it's kind yeah, of in that yeah. same family. That right? doesn't bother me. Ticks can fuck right off. What? Yeah. Oh, ticks are very. Oh, I ticks, have a deep yeah. phobia of ticks. Oh, Mark uh, from some Midsummer when he's like, "Do you know how common Lyme disease is?" I was like, "That's my man." He I listen. <laughs> I have I have been to Lyme, Connecticut, which is where that disease was first discovered slash named. Oh, I didn't even Ooh. realize that. Yeah. And there's been a there's like an urban legend that it was started. There's like a um, research, old research facility, like on an island in that town. Um, that's like now it's run down, but like the there's a conspiracy theory that it was created in that lab. See, I always heard the conspiracy that it was brought over here during World War II. Interesting. Yeah. Either way, ticks are a menace. <laughs> Agreed. They're awful. Just it's the parasitic nature. Any any kind of animal like that, I'm. Mm, so mm. you're. So is it safe to guess you haven't seen the movie? I actually have. We watched, Eric it. watched it. We watched it a couple months ago. Like, first dates, as it were. Um, <laughs> like fictional ticks, I'm fine with. It's not like the holes in the clusters. I can look at them if they're obviously like uh, made of rubber or it's some goofy movie. But a real tick. Ooh, you guys are so lucky you were not in a, the Mini Cooper on the way back from Six Flags with me when I found a tick on my person and there was nowhere to stop. Then in the entire state of Missouri, because meth was such a problem, you could not find, the only thing I needed to do was to get a match 
and like <laughs> I do the match head thing right yeah. and so I'm just like oh, like God. limping into these gas stations like please tell me you have a match and they're like you can't find no matches here until <laughs> you get to the border and get oh my god it was a nightmare it was a waking nightmare I'm like itchy right now just talking about it I will say as yeah. a person who grew up in the northeast where roaches unless you're in a major city like cockroaches are not really a thing unless you're like a dirt person in the northeast like what I have learned is that in the warmer climes, they're very common. And so like, I didn't really grow up ever being exposed. I don't, I think I saw my first legit cockroach when I was like 25 and I can't handle it. Oh, it's like wow. full body horror freak out for me. Yeah. I hate cockroaches. That's my phobia too. Ugh. They move. So you can't live down here and hate them. They're big enough to vote. And sometimes <laughs> you just wake up and they're just like kind of looking at you in your face next to you on the pillow. Like that happened. All I remember I waking up my hair when I was a kid. Oh, no. Ever since then I've been creeped. I remember out waking them. up in a, in a new Orleans hotel with a dead cockroach on the floor, just one middle of the floor on its back. And I was like, am I, what killed it? Like, am I more freaked out by the roach or what happened to it? Like, <laughs> I will also put forth and I don't know if regionally like where these are, but like earwigs, I had a lot, I had a lot of horrifying experiences with earwigs when I was a kid, like being in my shoes and stuff. It's real. I remember my friend when we were kids, she listens to this show. She, Sarah, right in, <laughs> but uh, she got this dollhouse and we get to like go look in it and like, boof, like it like almost exploded with earwigs. And we were like, ah! Yeah, I have I have seen a a like what I would describe as a fountain of earwigs come out of the ground before, and I will yeah. never forget it. That's <laughs> disgusting. So bugs, cool. <laughs> what else we got, Casey? Alrighty, at Robale, longtime friend of the show, is Candyman the best reboot of a classic franchise? It's up there, dude. It's really it is good. up there. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and I wouldn't well, even call it a reboot. It's the other super interesting thing. Yeah, I, yeah, that's true. Definitely, it's not stable. a. Not a sequel. It's an equal. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> one one that doesn't always get mentioned here is the crazies because I really love the original crazies, but it's so boot, it's so bootleg the original one and that that remake is real good. And Timothy, all of them. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> He's like easy. Settle down. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next up, another friend of the show at Whitney, please. Why is he called Candyman if he doesn't have any candy? Well, he does in this one. Well, at least yeah, the other dude, the seventies dude, does or the eighties guy. I got it. Yeah, it's interesting because there's no candy in the original one at all. Like it's not. Well, I'm assuming it's the honey. It's the honey. Yeah, yeah. there is actually candy on the floor of the projects the first time Virginia Madsen. Oh, she fought. That's friend, right. You're right. Grad student. Doesn't it like, kind of oh, lead? You see yeah. it littered throughout. It's not really a theme that like returns much. Yeah. All right. Next up, Alex Jones. True or false. Tony Todd's voice is pure sex. Hint. It's true. <laughs> true. Yeah, it's real. It's Agreed. real. <laughs> For, true. Uh, for those of you that were not at the 2019 Bloody Good Horror meetup, uh, Bloody Good Horror gifted us patrons with a cameo from Tony Todd. So we got to hear a message directly from him directed at us. Oh, that's so cool. He it was really yeah. cool. Super nice dude. But I will say he knows his worth because he, um, <laughs> I one time paid him, this is like early 2000s, I paid him $50 to sign my poster for the Night of the Living Dead remake. And oh, that yeah. was anything. And then it was like 25 bucks to get a picture to like take a early two thousands shitty camera picture with him. <laughs> if you're a Tony Todd completist, you need to check out, uh, what year was that? 
the dead of summer, the television show that was like mid dots at some point, it's a free form pre like little teeny bopper summer horror series that is so much better than it has any right to be. And it features Tony Todd and like a cool kind of cameo. Check it out. Nice. He also shows up in uh, Chuck. Oh, yeah, he's one of the that. government officials at some point. He's only in there once or twice. So, All right. Next up, we have from Matt Ragey Pants, two-part question. What is your favorite Stephen King movie adaptation, and why is it Pet Cemetery? <laughs> That's Rachel, and she's trolling me because we have this feud about Pet Cemetery because she loves it, and I hate it. She's such a brat. <laughs> I, I saw that and I was like, I feel like this is pointed. I love yes, the, I love the first one. I love the first one. The second one is mostly insane, but worth it for Clancy Zombie Clancy Brown. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> I like the first. A straight yeah. Edward, I, Edward Furlong appearance in there too. Mm. And Dan isn't Danny Cooksey in that movie? No, I'm, never mind. That's T two. <laughs> oh, bring it back in. He's getting Rain Man. <laughs> <laughs> Wires crossed for a second. Spirit of plug it up, I will say Carrie for mine. Mm, good yeah, one. Rachel, you. the correct answer is The Shining. Okay. Not oh. Pet Cemetery. <laughs> I always like Salem's Lot myself, but or there was That's the other one. The, the werewolf one. Uh because the, the I can't think of the name of it now, but there was the were, uh Silver Bullet. Because mm. it had the dude from uh, People Under the Stairs in it. Schnars is gonna do that one for her plug it up for me. Nice. <laughs> All righty. Finally, we have our old friend Skyler at Skizbot. I'm seeing Shang-Chi and Candyman at the theater Friday, but I both bought both tickets like a sucker. Have you ever snuck into another movie without paying for an <laughs> unlawful double feature? Yes. I did yeah. one time. There was a theater like downtown Boston by the park that made it super easy. And I'm, I did it like one day, but like... That's really tiring seeing more than one movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have always been younger than most of my friends. My birthday falls to where like I could go to school, even though I was right at the cutoff, I guess, or whatever. So I graduated high school when I was still 17 and was just on the younger side. So I didn't turn 17 to go into R-rated movies until a little bit later. So I did the thing where you buy a ticket for one movie and go to the other one. That's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> so like they got my money, but like <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to see. I can't even think of a G-rated movie, but like all my friends were able to get like the real ticket. <laughs> you've, got, you've got like Beethoven second to put yeah. in your scrapbook. Or yeah. We would do that. That's how I saw Varsity Blues with a like another ticket for like whatever Disney fair was there. And it's how me and my friend, she was not figuring her sexuality out. I don't care what I had to do. I was getting my second ass to the theater to see Wild Things. <laughs> Is it was the last thing I did, and it, and it wasn't to see um, what was it, Kevin Bacon's penis for three seconds. But we, I don't remember what movie. It was something ridiculous that we said we were going to like Gosford Park, like some absolute adult. Like, <laughs> no, you weren't. That my mom was like, and how was it? And I was like, oh, girl, it was so good. <laughs> There's this one scene with champagne and titty. Oh, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> I never did any of the uh, unlawful double features myself, but my wife has a uh, cousin who got remarried, had her own kid at the time, and then her new husband had like five kids. So all of a sudden she found herself as a parent to, to six kids. And so she would make a day out of it and had it all planned out and everything. And she'd go and buy 
one ticket for everybody for the start of the day for whatever movie they're going. And then she had it all worked out where she'd just get them in and out there. They'd make a whole day of it. <laughs> I like that. That's, that's smart. I think she even split them up too. Like some of the, like the boys wanted to go see an action movie. The girls got to go see <laughs> Gusford oh, Park. <laughs> and that's it for Twitter. Love it, dude. Question Tuesday. That's where I answer your questions on Instagram at political horror. First up thoughts on the new Texas chainsaw going to Netflix. I didn't, was there, has there been a trailer for this? People had, I was like surprised by how many thoughts people had about this. Honestly, there was talk on Slack about it and I felt totally out of the loop. Cause I was like, what? Apparently yeah. maybe I'm wrong, but I swear someone, th- this could be somebody trolling me cause they know I don't look stuff up and I just repeat it. But it sounded like um, Alexandria Daddario is returning. That's Mary's fave. I don't know, dude. I don't care. I don't. I don't see what you can do with Texas Chainsaw Massacre that I will care about. Yeah, not at this point, especially with remakes. Yeah, that was already perfect. So, and they're not going to bring back Chopped. But even the remake, I could. I don't think I could sit through that remake again. Like, because there's no story to it. You know what I mean? But there's Jessica. I almost just said there's Jessica Boobs. Beal. Jessica Beal in that shirt. My brother was so young, and I he wanted he, he was like really trying to be like, come on, like he knew I loved horror. I knew he didn't really, but like he was like, let's go see that. Let's go to see uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, and we did. And like twenty minutes in, just from the vibration on this, I was like, let's just go. Let's just leave. It's fine. We don't have to stay. And he was like, yeah, you know, if you're not into it. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I don't really care about the, I did watch that one sequel with, uh, Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger. Renee Zellweger. Solely Dude, I love the cover time. with the, uh, chainsaw lipstick. Yeah. I, one of my, I want that poster. I keep beating this drum, but I love part three. It's insane. Like, is that the really crazy one where there's like lots of costumes and stuff? Like, no part. So part two is the one Hooper came back. They did part two in 1988. And that was the one where the story about it was always that, he was really mad because he thought the original was funny and he was really uh, mad yeah, that nobody right. thought it was a comedy. So he tried to make like a dark comedy with the second one. And it's uh, like the kind of thing a crazy person w- might make. And that's why I like it. And then the third one, they go, he didn't do it. It was directed by this guy named Jeff Burr, who was kind of like a nineties horror journeyman. And um, it's in some ways a throwback to the first film, but like early in the, with an early nineties vibe to it. It's really good. I, Vigo Mortensen is in it. He plays like one of the family members. Yeah, that's good. Um, uh, have, hello there. Have you seen the film Monster Dog starring Alice Cooper? Uh, I, I have that. not, but I looked it up and I feel discovered. Like I remember that. It's uh, what I found is that it's directed by Claudio Fragasso, who also directed Troll Two. So I'm sure it's real bad. Um. Our friend Mary says Dink and Flicka. Yes, Mary. I also watched <laughs> it's the gonna office. It's going to be zoppity. Yeah. Was your response. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, here we go. What is Tarantino's best movie? I say Jackie Brown. Does anybody have thoughts? I would say Ooh. Jackie Brown too. I love that movie. It is a good one. I'm going to be real here and say like, I'm not really, I'm not a Tarantino expert, but I think my favorite is Inglorious Bastards. I think... Same. It's probably a toss up between that and Pulp Fiction, but just like the cast in Glorious Bastards has a lot of fast bender in it, which I think puts it over the edge for me. That is a really good one. I love Reservoir Dogs too. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you could, if you could just kill Bill one and two, I feel it might be my. You know what the f- the feet thing ruined Kill Bill for me. Now that I, 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 I knew <laughs> you were going to say that, I literally was like, if this, if he starts talking about that beautiful woman's feet, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. I uh, know you too well. Like, her feet no, are fine. I have no problem with her feet. It's the fact that now I know he has such a foot boner. I can't watch the movie because I'm like, are you watch? Are you making a movie here, or are you making like your own personal home movie? Like, I don't know which one it is. It's just a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I can't believe I sat through another Glenn Danzig movie. Why do I do this to myself? Oof. We all do things to ourselves, sir. I think the key is to accept it. Try to try to be better. Just for the record, I think that is a Glenn Danzig vampire western. Right? Something. Yeah, I don't. I know that he's in some bad horror movie. That's about the extent of how much I looked into it. Um, If you had to pick one, Rob Zombie's music or his movies? Music. That's what I said. All day. Probably music. Because you know yeah, what? His it. music would only be taking up one of my senses. And I, I was going to say, some... it's only an auditory assault. I don't yes. have to look at it. And also, <laughs> there's a certain amount of nostalgia I could get out of like the 90s stuff. So at least there's that. Yeah. I'm not a huge, like, diehard fan of his music, but that dude puts on one hell of a live show. I'll give him that. Um, favorite alternative to dairy milk? Almond. Always almond. Dairy or milk? I've been doing oat milk lately, oat which milk I'm digging. Really oat milk is really are. tasty. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't drink oat milk, but I do like it. It makes a killer fucking latte. Um, I, I go vanilla, unsweetened almond milk. But largely, I, could- I just drink water and tea. Yeah, Colleen drinks as big on the almond milk. It tastes too watery for me. What kind of milk is in Diet Dr. Pepper? (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I drank, we were like a milk house. I drank milk like every day until I was like 24, 25. And then I remember moving out and being like, why do I, why do I do this? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Because of lobbyists. (laughs) And then I just stopped. Marketing. My, I heard every day about milk because I'd be like, why don't we have milk like real milk? Because we always, when it was like a million dollars and hard to find, we had soy milk back in like the 90s. Because my dad would be like, without fail, every time, we're the only animals that drink the milk of another mammal. <laughs> it's not right. And it's not going to happen under my roof. Okay. You pick interesting places to like go hills, hills to die on. Yeah. Um, all right. Last up here, Instagram question. We got two questions from two different people. Same theme. Final question of the night. Tomorrow I start celebrating the Halloween season. Too early? right on time when does it start for you ding 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 you're a little bit late i would say i keep spooky stuff up pretty much all year i don't really like halloween decorate because it's just there all the time but i would say i start feeling it usually the second i get a little cool breeze like mid late august if there's like a random cold day i'm like cool it's time for sweatpants and yeah yeah Yeah. listen i have seasonal affective disorder but for the summer i fucking hate the summer so like i'm miserable for most of it and like i'm just holding on to like it's almost here like (laughs) holding on to it so i started celebrating very early and then i obviously keep my spooky shit up year round but uh yeah i i need it (laughs) to like get through the doldrums of summer for me so End of August, just, beginning of September is when I put the like things that say Halloween out, but same on right. the all year. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. See, yeah. like somebody asked us last week about pumpkin spice, and for me, it's more about the temperature. And it's ninety-five <laughs> degrees out. I can't do pumpkin spice. I made it's not time. I made pumpkin spice pancakes for dinner last night. They were pretty good. Weirdo. 
Yeah. From scratch. That's very, that's very twee. Very sweet, Eric. <laughs> that's very like white woman's Instagram. Too. <laughs> Listen, or you're wearing your Uggs. I had a craving. I made them. Was there a from, golden retriever and a flower crown? I made them from scratch. Okay. No, they sound great. It's just very sweet. That's fine. Some, I'm going to make somebody a fine wife someday. And, you know. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, that's it for Candy Man. Schnars isn't here. I have no idea what's happening next week. So who can say? Um, but if you stay tuned to our social media or on Slack, we always let people know. Um, I think that a James Wan thing, Malignant, comes out next week. I'm, I'm down. Please tell me that's on demand. I, yes, I think it's, it's coming to HBO. Yeah. Good. That comes out in 10th. So. <clears throat> All right. Well, oh, okay. Who, who can say? We'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, thank you to my special guests for this evening, Elizabeth and Ariel. Check out Final Girl Scout and the Zombie Girls with the Z and a bunch of R's. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed the show. And this should be an interesting uh, call out here since we have so many new people. <laughs> we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye.